How's everybody doing today? If you're doing well, just give me a head nod. Looks like some of you are. Usually it's a smile, but a head nod will will have to do. If you guys didn't know the girl in the middle, her name's Erin, and that's her walking down. You don't have to come up. But uh, I think three weeks ago, maybe four now, um, we had a special prayer for Erin. She was in the hospital. And uh, if you don't know her story, I would encourage you just to uh, talk to her one, one day. And uh, it's, an, it's an amazing story. She's been a member of Forest Lake Church for a very long time. Um, but uh, we prayed, had a special prayer for her during Table Sabbath. She was supposed to sing that weekend and um, got sick. But we are so glad that you're here today and that you were able to bless us. So thank you very much. Um, the team in general for for being here, but I'm so glad that uh, you are here, and it's just uh, love seeing you up here, so so thank you. How many of you guys had a good week? Not considering work, um, just your walk with God. Was it good? Was it non-existent? Was it just, uh, was it okay? Um, Just think about that for a second. If this is your first time at Warehouse Community Forest Lake Church, we want to give you a special welcome. Last week was Easter weekend, and if you missed it, I'm sorry, we had a great time, um, sang a bunch of songs. It's always good when we get get to talk about the resurrection story of Jesus. Um, we had an amazing testimony by Joyce. If you don't know her as well, she she's uh, one of the singers, and she shared an incredible testimony about her death to life. And we're going to talk a l- little bit about what death to life means for us. And Pastor Mark um, talked about it last week, and we love the resurrection story so much that we're going to talk about it some more this week. Is that okay? Can we do that? Are we good to talk about Jesus? Okay, good. So we, we started that, um, and, and it just so happened that as we are in the book of Acts, if you've been hanging tight with us and following strong since the beginning of the year, you know that we have been in the book of Acts, and what was to, pre, to be talked about next was some of that resurrection story. So this is kind of a, a part two of last week. The other thing that happened last week was uh, my, my youngest daughter, Isla, was dedicated, um, and that was very special to us. We, we did pull Pastor Barb out of retirement. Uh, she thinks that she retires, but somehow she finds her way back on campus, one way or the other, doing something, and I had asked her to um, dedicate Isla for us because uh, she actually baptized me, and there was just a lot of significance to that. So we uh, had an incredible time, and I actually just felt like a church member. She came to my house and visited me, visited our family, asked questions about the dedication, and I'm like, this feels nice. Like, I, I'm not doing the, the home visit. Actually, a pastor is coming to visit me. Um, so that took place. It was a, a lot. It was a, a great weekend. I encourage you to go back and watch it um, on the stream, just even if it's for the testimony. It was so incredible and powerful, and God was doing amazing things uh, through Pastor Mark and through Joyce. So we're, we're doing part two, and, and like I said, we are going to be talking about a little bit more about the resurrection story, specifically through the eyes of Peter, 
and in the book of Acts. And what's about to take place, what we do know is that the Holy Spirit has fallen upon people and within. If, if about last month, I think it was, we did talk about what happened during the day of Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit falls upon people and they do things that are unimaginable. And what we have just seen, we're in Acts 2. If you're following along, we're going to be in verse 22. But right before it, Peter makes some bold claims. And he says people are going to prophesy, see visions, and dream dreams. And right now what Peter is doing is he is doing a form of prophecy. He's saying this is what's going to happen. These people are not crazy. They're not drunkards as you would claim them to be. So Peter's saying, let me tell you what's going to happen. So he provides a prophetic word, and what follows is the proof behind that. And what we see is Peter continuing to establish his case. And the idea of a, of a court, of, of the idea of judgment is not foreign to just the book, just in, in the Bible in general. We see it in Acts, we see it in the Old Testament, we see it with the Israelites and them bargaining with God. And, and so this, this theme and, and Peter trying to defend these people is not unusual to us. So he says, let me tell you what all of this is actually about. I want to tell you that it's true, and here is my proof. The things that I've said about these the people who are prophesying and speaking in tongues and dreaming dreams and they're going to vision, this is why it is true. Acts 22, verse 28, Acts 2, 22 through 28. We'll read that briefly. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by his miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by, God, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold of him. What we have here is the third part of Peter's case and validation of the work of the Holy Spirit and of the people. And proof number one is Jesus is Christ. Like I said, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus last weekend, and, and Peter is building upon the idea of Jesus resurrecting from the dead. He says, Jesus was a real man, and it's not up for debate. And now he's beginning to explain who is at the core, who is at the foundation of this movement, of this new church, and it's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It always will be Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And this is his first proof, is Jesus is king. He, he lays out a warning sign. He says, do not make the same mistake again. The same person, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man that you crucified, died and rose again. What you intended for him to be a, in a grave forever was only for three days. And the people knew that they had made a mistake. 
They knew that when the tomb was empty, they realized that this actually was the Son of God. He conquered death. And he's saying, you remember that moment? Do not make the same mistake. I'm giving you a warning sign. I'm notorious for, if, if you've driven with me, you know me pretty well. You know that I love to drive with my gas light on. I call it living by faith. It's true. I do it all the time. My wife gives me a hard time about it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll use her car and I'll bring it back. And she turns it on. She has to go somewhere in a hurry in the morning and the gas light's on. She's like, seriously, I'm late and I have to put gas now. I'm bad at it, I confess. But I say, I'm just living by faith. I know exactly how many miles it takes for my car to be completely empty. I do it all the time. I don't know if it's a game. I don't know if, if I dislike the, just the, the suspense, um, the adrenaline kick, but I want to see how far I can take it. And actually, um, a, a few cars back, I had a diesel, and that was dangerous because not every gas station has diesel. Um, and so I would, have, I would say, okay, I'm going to stop at this gas station, and they didn't have diesel. And so I, I would ride the line of being stranded a lot. Still do. And my wife will tell you she hates it. I know it's bad for cars, so don't buy my car if I'm selling it. It's probably not good because I, I ride it on empty all the time. Confession. When I was at Andrews in seminary, I had a friend. We were both uh, studying um, in the seminary, and we used to work at a... Um, a place in St. Joseph. Now, if you've ever been to Andrews, you know that St. Joseph is, is it's quite the drive. I mean, it's 25, 20, 25 minutes, and you have to go through like a really rough part of town to get to St. Joseph. Um, there's like an abandoned mall where there's like four stores that are open, a really like dirty playground inside that I'd never let my child play on. But you pass through that, and, it, and it's, and it's kind of sketch. And we would go, and, and we worked at, um, at, at, at this gym, and we had opened it at 6 in the morning. And I remember specifically one day, and he always gave me a hard time for driving on empty. Um, and I remember I picked him up one morning. He gets in my car, and he's like, oh, here we go again. Like, your gas light's on. He's like, why do you always do this? And we're going back and forth about why. And I'm like, dude, you relax. Like, I know my car. Like, we're good. And as we're driving, we go through... Um, this this town and it's it's five in the morning it's kind of dark and i feel like the car just starting to lose power and i feel like this ball in my throat and it goes down into my stomach and i think he senses it too because he kind of looks at me side-eyed and understand my friend um he is super introvert he does not like to talk to new people um his biggest fear would probably be having to push the car with a stranger at five in the morning in one of the most dangerous places in, in where we lived. And all of a sudden, as I'm thinking, is, is my car losing power? It completely shuts off. Luckily, I had a manual, so I put it in neutral. And there's an intersection coming. We're kind of rolling down a, a hill. The intersection is right in front of us, and it is red. As we are approaching it, God turned that light green. We coast over the intersection, and just over the intersection, there's a gas station on the right. And I kid you not, we stopped literally at the pump, right at the pump. Sigh of relief by him, 
And I look over and I'm like, dude, I told you, you just got to live by faith. Like, we're, we're good. We're fine. I didn't learn my lesson. It happened a few other times to me. It's been about four years. I, I do not test the limits like that anymore. But I didn't pay attention to the warning signs. The most obvious one that probably all of you, when you see a gas, your gas light on, you fill it up. My mom, it's, she's like a half tank. She's going to Costco to fill up her gas. I mean, she, she does not mess. I am the opposite. But I do not pay attention to the warning signs. And here, Peter is saying, pay attention to these signs. You already made the mistake once. You crucified the Son of God, the Son of Man, and He rose again. And this here are the people that He has left to spread His Word, to do the amazing things. Do not let this warning sign pass you by. Do not make the same mistake again. At this point, it is something that they can all agree on. The, the, the people that, that Peter is talking to, the bystanders, the ones who are witnessing this, they can agree that Jesus is now the Son of God. They can attest to that. And so he's establishing the common ground, the cornerstone, the foundation. How many times can you honestly say that you've ignored warning signs from God? How many times can you say that God, if you realize God has put someone in your life to speak truth to you and you've dismissed it? You haven't listened to the signs, the warning signs that God has placed in your life. Or did you even realize it? Maybe you reflect back on your life and you, you can pinpoint a time where, yeah, I, I, I knew that phone call that I ignored, that text would have saved me from a really bad decision and I chose to ignore it. Maybe you gave God a, a $10 bill and wanted two fives and he gave you ten ones. You wanted the two fives, but he gives you a different response. Maybe you pray for something with a specific return, but God has other plans. You don't pay attention to the warning signs. Maybe you've put something in God's hands expecting a very specific return in your prayer. Not open to what he's willing to do, but what you want to see happen in your own life. And maybe that thing that you were praying for, that you wanted to happen, warning signs kept popping up that you shouldn't do it, but you were saying, God, I just want this to happen in my life, so just make it happen. And warning signs kept popping up, and you just kept driving through those, and you realized the mistake that you've made. Maybe you weren't intended to be with that guy or that girl, and you ignored the signs. Maybe you weren't meant to have that job, and you ignored the signs. And even then, God continues to bless you, to keep you, to protect you. Even in the midst of us ignoring his warning signs, there's second and third and fourth chances. And this is what Peter is saying. You've made the mistake once. Don't go through it again. Listen to what I'm saying. These people are, are anointed by the Holy Spirit. God uses situations, experiences, and in this case, people, to pull us back into the direction that we need to go. Is your heart open to see that? Or will you keep making the same mistakes, falling into the same rhythms 
that lead to nowhere? What are the warning signs in your life? Who Peter is defending, this group of people in the beginning of Acts that start to, to speak in tongues and they're anointed, who meet in this room, these are the people who have experienced the death to life. They've been born again. And they will continue to do that because the Bible says that we die daily to ourselves. And as a result, they receive the Holy Spirit out of a conscious decision to accept Christ as their personal Savior. Have you been born again? Have you had your death to life experience? As Pastor Mark alluded to last week, maybe you made the decision after the service last week to say, I'm going to die to myself and give my life to Jesus. Maybe you did that this week. Maybe you, this is your first experience in that new life. I don't know where you are, but have you experienced that in your life? What's interesting here, Peter uses the word pains in, in Acts 2, and he's literally translating the Greek as birthing pains when he when he's talking about Jesus in the tomb the Greek says birthing pains suggesting that the tomb was a womb where Jesus was born into his resurrection life the tomb was Jesus's womb to experience his resurrection life his death to life he was born again and now Jesus his position in heaven is now shifted he was here on earth, he was roaming, he was preaching, he was teaching, he was doing signs and wonders, and once he has his death to life, he now becomes the advocate. He, sa he now sits at the right hand of God. Verse 33, Acts 2.33 says, For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Mark 16, 19 also talks about Jesus once he ascends to heaven and he has his death to life experience. It says Jesus ascends and he sits at the right hand of God. With death to life in Jesus, he now has new expectations, new responsibilities. His, his position, his role now changes when he dies and resurrects. He becomes our advocate. And this is the model. Jesus is the blueprint. And if we have a death to life experience, then we must be ready to experience a shift in our role. A shift in our responsibilities. Expectations are now put on us. We no longer walk the same. We no longer talk the same because now Jesus lives in us. This is the death to life experience. It isn't just saying, God, I give my life to you and we continue on living the same way. Our position begins to shift. And now it is our, our story to tell. It is our job, once we have that death to life experience, to share the good news, to share the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection in you for those who may have not heard it yet. This is the model. Jesus is the blueprint. Scripture is our reference tool to how we should engage in this life. 
And part of that is being born again. And our number one example is Jesus. Almost an entire chapter in Acts 2 is dedicated to a man defending his God, the people of God. Acts 2 is simply Peter continuing to defend, making prophetic words, and providing proof for what he has just said, for his Jesus and for this people. And I wonder if we would do the same. I wonder if we dedicate our lives to defending our God, to defending our community. Would we do the same? I see a lot of passion on social media about different things. Not about God, not about your faith. But there's a lot of passion, a lot of debate, a lot of time that I see wasted when there is a God that is asking to be defended here on earth. Are you defending your God, the one who brought you out of death into life, who promises eternity with you? How many of us would have the courage to spend this kind of time defending our faith? What is church? We are asking that question every week. It's to be born again. It's to recognize that your current life needs to die, to move into a direction that requires you to do something with the faith that Jesus has given you. It is defending that at all costs. To be born, to be born again means that you have fully experienced the redemptive power of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You now acknowledge that it is not you, but Christ that lives in you. You understand that there is nothing you can do to receive eternal life because Jesus has already done that for you. As a result of repentance, death to life, you begin the process of discipleship. And your call is to defend the gospel. It doesn't matter your, your profession, what you do for a living, Whatever that entails, your duty is to advance the kingdom and to defend the word of Jesus. Take accountability for your walk with God. Your dependency and your courage only comes from Jesus. Not your parents, not your significant other, not your pastor. We're here to walk along with you. This community is here to journey with you, but your dependency comes from one and one only, and that is Jesus. The moment this connects in your life is the moment you become a Peter, defending a community, defending yourself, defending your God at all costs, no matter what. For me, that's something worth defending and worth dying for. Because I know what Jesus has done in my own personal life. Jesus' resurrection story into new life will also be ours to partake in. We sang about it last week. We join him in, our, in his sufferings, and we join him when he rises. Jesus is the blueprint for our lives to follow. Continuing Acts 2, uh, Peter, what we just read, he's, he's continuing um, to quote David. The proof was in the prophecy of David. He says, 
you will not let, in verse 27, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You will not let your Holy One see decay. That in itself is a bold statement saying, the grave that you have destined me to is not forever. The grave in which you intend me to live and and my bones to dry, Jesus will bring back to life. This body will not see decay. The other proof was in the witness of the believers. As we close out the book of Acts 2, chapter 2, we are all witnesses. Back in December, we talked about what it means to be a witness. Jesus did not reveal himself to the world. Instead, in the book of Acts, what he's doing is he's revealing himself to a specific group of people. He goes to to the disciples. He comes out of the grave. They show up. No one's there. Jesus, before he ascends, has a few things to do, and he visits He intentionally visits the disciples. He does not reveal himself to the world. But he had to do this because even the disciples who walked with him for three years, journeyed with him, did not believe that he was going to raise up from the dead. Even the disciples lacked faith in this very moment. If the ones who were closest to Jesus let sin and their own self cloud their perception of what Jesus was going to do, how much more do we need to be connected and in tune with our Savior? This is the danger of spiritual complacency. Everything is going well. Everything's going well in your life. You, did, you didn't get COVID. You got your, your shot. You have your job still. Family's doing great. You forget where all of your blessings come from. And I believe that even Satan uses good to pull you away from God. For me, I know when things go bad, when when I'm in a dark place, I run to God. But how many of us are blessed, continue to be blessed, and we tend to forget where those blessings come from? The devil can use the good to pull you away from God and put you in a place of spiritual complacency because you think you don't need to depend on anything. We pray these prayers to Jesus that, Jesus, give me the job, give me this relationship, give give me this house, this car. We pray for things that we think give us the illusion of life when we're in death. We are walking in death, and we pray for things that give us the illusion of life. And Jesus came to give us the one thing that we don't even think we need, and that is life. To be born again. He said, the one thing I came here to give you, you haven't even asked for. What you ask for are illusions of eternal life. Things that you think will bring you joy and peace and love, and acceptance. Jesus says, die to yourself. I want to bring you life.
towards the end of, of Acts 2, verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, this is Peter's, Peter's case, when he lays it all out, he says, this is the proof, this is the prophecy, these people are not crazy, they're not drunkards, this is real, these are the warning signs, this is what it looks like to die to yourself, just like Jesus did. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord will call this is what happened when a group of people moved in the same direction I'm only going to do this one time and I promised my wife I will only live in my past my glory days one time from the pulpit I'm using it now because it's a good example. Back in 2006, I attended Forest Lake and I was part of the, the best team that Forest Lake's ever had, the basketball team. Uh, counting preseason, we were 27-1. and one. The banner says 21-1. and one. My name's on there, so you can go check. There's a lot of Juan Martinez's, I know, but that one's me, I promise. That year was a special year. And I remember going to one of our games and we had to play Mount Bird. If you've heard of them, if you go to Forest Lake, you know who they are. And this was the, at the time the number one ranked team in the state. They were number nine, I believe, in the country. And they recruit players, um, you know, they produce tons of talent. And here comes Force Lake, this little school in out in Apopka, going to play. And we are, we are scared out of our minds. Um, we don't know what to expect. And we get to their, to their gym, and they have their full faculty there. They have recruiters. They have news people because they know they're going to put a beating on this little school, and they want to look good in front of their recruiters and their administration of their school. And they don't come out yet, and we're just warming up, and, and we're, you know, doing our, our cute little drills. I'm trying to look all, like, professional, and, like, like we're legit. And all of a sudden, like, the Monstars come out of the back room, and I'm like, this is an NBA team. This is not a high school team. These, these are grown men, and we are little boys. And I remember them just, like, I mean, they do the whole lap, and all of us, at least from what I could see, our whole team is just like following them all the way around like the gym like and then they go do their layup line and you can't dunk in in um in the warm-up so they're just like jumping over the rim and like throwing it in like no big deal and i'm like this is going to be a disaster at the time we hadn't lost a game and i'm already like well there's there's just chuck one up for for us because we're about to lose this one fast forward um we end up winning the game And all of a sudden, these recruiters, these news people are like, who is this, who is this school? 
uh, Orlando Sentinel um, talked to us after, and they did an article. And I remember one of our guards at the time, we were in Bible class down in by the cafeteria, and I hear someone screaming, like running across campus. And we had made like the front page of the sports. And it said, Leap of Faith. And he's running with it, like super proud and like screaming. And like, we're in the front page of the Orlando Sentinel. And they were like, how is a school that doesn't practice on Friday nights, that isn't very big, how did they defeat the number one team in the state? Well, we practiced every morning, 5.30 a.m. Kevin Pride was our coach. Now he's back as the AD here. 5.30 a.m. every day. And then again at 6 p.m. at night. Every day, except for Fridays. We gave up our Saturday nights to practice in here. And Pride told us, if you don't want to be on the team, don't show up. You, you miss one practice, it tells me you don't want to be here. Because he knew that there was something special about that team. And the thing was, is we had known each other. This, this group, I was a senior, we had either played against each other or with each other since fifth grade on the same teams. And we had established this relationship where we, we did life together. We moved in the same direction. We hung out outside of practice. We were friends. We were there for each other. We journeyed through our pain together. And because of that, we were able to defeat the best team in the state. And Peter here is explaining what happens when a group of people dedicate themselves to one goal. When they do life together, when they do community together, it says that 3,000 were baptized that day. And towards the end of verse 40, 40 and 41, it says, with, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves for this is a corrupt generation. And then it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who needed, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what it looked like for a community devoted to their God, moving together, eating together, doing life throughout the week together. This is the product of that. The product is a love for God, a love for each other. Living like Jesus is at the center of it all. What we've been talking about the last four months when we first gave you the name Warehouse Community, we didn't pull it out of thin air. We called it Warehouse because it's in a warehouse that goods are made, are restored, are kept, are preserved. And once they're where they need to be, then they're sent out to meet a need. That's what happens in a warehouse. 
goods are created, are changed, are restored, are created, and then sent out. And we're a community that God preserves, makes good, and restores. This is what warehouse community longs to be. It's right here, the end of Acts 2, that we do life together, that we don't just come here once a week, sing some songs, and hear a good sermon. Maybe it's good. I don't know. You tell me. But that we be more than that. That we're a group of people that seeks each other out, that invites each other over, that does life every single day of the week, that moves in a direction that seeks the heart of God and seeks to advance the kingdom of heaven. And what happens when a group of people does that is amazing. God adds to the number daily those who are being saved. That is our prayer for warehouse community. Nothing else. When a community moves in the same direction, seeks out life together, when it goes beyond just one day of worshiping together, lives are changed, families are transformed, our work becomes our mission field, our work becomes our church, the Spirit comes in and fills any space that you're in, Jesus becomes the center of your life. Jesus is the first thing you think of when you wake up and the last thing you think of when you go to bed. This community is all you want to be a part of. This is what it looks like to seek out Jesus in this community. And by his work through us, the Lord will add to the numbers daily those who are being saved. I believe it. But it takes a community for all of you to be committed, to move in a direction, to do life with us, to want to be more than just part of a weekly service, but a life together with the believers. It's not tied to this space. Like we learned earlier, church is us coming together and seeking to glorify our God. That is church. May we continue to lean into Jesus together. May we recognize our daily need for Jesus. May we talk about him unashamed, just like Peter. And may this be how we define church at Warehouse Community.